Welcome back. Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. I am Seth Leibson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. Today at the annual National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., President Joe Biden said, quote, let's just sort of kind of join hands again a little bit. Let's start treating each other with respect. That's what Kevin McCarthy and I are going to do. Close quote. He went on to say, quote, in our politics and our lives, we too often see each other as opponents and not competitors. We see each other as enemies, not neighbors. And as tough as these times have been, if we look closer, we see the strength, the determination that has long defined America. Close quote. He called on Americans to follow what he calls a ministry of presence by, quote, being there for one another, not as Democrats, not as Republicans, but as who we really are. As fellow Americans. Then he said, as he reflected on the concept of loving thy neighbor, he said, that's the hardest thing to do. Quote, at least it's hardest here. Didn't used to be as hard. I've been here a long time, but it seems to be getting harder. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. But in that commandment lies the essence of faith. Loving our neighbors is also part of the essence of the American promise. Close quote. My first reaction is to say, spare me. I heard him saying the same things at the John McCain funeral and in his inauguration speech. This is the man who told us, well, told a black audience, quote, Mitt Romney is going to put you all back in chains, close quote. And keep in mind, Mitt Romney is the kind of Republican Democrats are continually telling us we should model and have more of and be more like. Last August... President Biden gave a speech titled The Battle for the Soul of Our Nation, where he lambasted Republicans, all of them, for being part of an extreme movement. So long as we're speaking of prayer and reconciliation and loving your opponent, maybe it's a good time to remind ourselves of what Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote in his essay on worship. Quote, no amount of evidence of his crimes will prevent crowds from giving him ovations, complimentary dinners, opening their own houses to him and priding themselves on his acquaintance. But the louder he talked of his honor, the faster we counted our spoons, close quote. That's the thing about Joe Biden. The media can complain about lies from the likes of George Santos or Donald Trump, but Bidens are much greater and more consequential than both of them put together. Whether about his own biography, his own life, his promises, or his policies, Joe Biden is a congenital liar. A congenital liar, as Christopher Hitchens once put it, is someone who lies even when the truth would do just fine. You see, for all his blathering about loving your brother and lamenting the bygone civility of his years in the Senate, you know, the years when he lied to and about Clarence Thomas and he lied to and about Robert Bork, his history of himself is as distorted as his continued promises to try and bring back a level of decency and civility in our rhetoric or normalcy. When he talks like this about uniting, about brotherhood, about opponents, not enemies, about the soul of our nation, about bipartisanship, about civility, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party have a very different dictionary than we all do or see things through lenses that refract their images as opposites, upside down and inside out. Or he simply just cannot be believed or trusted. If he told you it was raining, you would want to look outside to independently verify it. 
We are probably at our most divided politically in our lifetimes, and he speaks of restoring trust and good faith. Our nation's soul does not need his healing when American is pitted against American with comparisons of half of those Americans to the worst characters in history and war and compared to them by him, Joe Biden. While skins are thick in America or should be, Republicans are used to hearing that their president or presidential candidate is a fascist or a racist. They heard it and tolerated it about Barry Goldwater. They heard it and tolerated it about Ronald Reagan. They heard it. They heard it and tolerated it about George W. Bush. And we never not heard it and tolerated it about Donald Trump. And we never have not heard it from Joe Biden, whether we are extreme or mega maga or the party, as he put it in a speech last year, of Bull Connor, Jefferson Davis, and George Wallace. The chairman of his party, the Democratic National Committee, twice last year said, quote, the Republican Party is the party of fascism and fear, close quote. So we continually get compared and analogized to the worst characters in history and war as they speak of trying to restore civility, which is why I say spare me. There is an everyday blasting, not just of our party and our leaders, but everyday Americans that think normal thoughts, normal thoughts like perhaps five-year-olds who may think they are Superman one day or Buzz Lightyear the next should not be empowered to make life-altering decisions about whether they should be a boy or a girl. Normal thoughts like teachers and school administration officials should not be in league with those five-year-olds and concealing such thoughts and decisions from their parents. Normal thoughts like teachers and school administration officials should not be teaching children that they are oppressors because of the skin color they were born with. Normal thoughts like teachers and school administration officials should not replace parents as the moral and character chieftains of their children. Normal thoughts like law-abiding citizens should not have their individual and constitutional rights taken away while the government turns a blind eye and deaf ear to criminals who are taking others' lives away. Normal thoughts like every nation has borders that are patrolled and secured. Normal thoughts like the United States Department of Defense should not be more concerned about Ukraine's border integrity than our own border integrity, while it is also emptying the defense cupboard to defend Ukraine's integrity, leaving it empty when it comes to defending ourselves. Normal thoughts like, though Joe Biden called it an extraordinary success, his words, the evacuation of Afghanistan was more deadly to American soldiers than Saigon. Normal thoughts like major cities in America should not represent a 90% higher chance of criminal death to its citizens than can come from a novel coronavirus. Normal thoughts like perhaps we should not attempt to soothe the anxieties and paranoia of adults by instigating fear and frenzy in children. Normal thoughts like perhaps we should not turn the entire country upside down and inside out while shutting it down for a virus that 99.7% of us will survive. Normal thoughts like we should not at this stage of life in the history of the world with a developed and wealthy and successful country, a gross domestic product of $25 trillion, we should not be witnessing a decrease in life expectancy, a decrease in education scores and an increase in drug-poisoning deaths. Normal thoughts, like we should not be observing, witnessing, and doing nothing about a crisis of young adults whose leading cause of death is said drug poisoning. 
Normal thoughts like truckers, policemen, firemen, soldiers, plumbers, and electricians should not be bailing out the debt accumulated by college students who chose to spend five and six years money on degrees in sexuality studies and storytelling. Normal, uh, normal thoughts like regularizing and appeasing terrorists, sponsoring and terrorism, committing states and giving them tens of billions of dollars, especially after noting their attempted assassinations of Americans, because to the normal, this violates common sense and decency and will breed more terrorism. Normal thoughts like federal laws ensuring the right to end the life of an unborn baby at any stage of life coarsens the culture and violates almost every notion of human decency and exploitation of the weak. Normal thoughts that calls for violence from leaders of one party against members of another party are to be countenanced, while such countenance only runs in one direction, in what ends up constituting not only a culture of violence, but a two-tiered system of right and wrong, if not justice, making a mockery of the notion of equal justice and fairness. Normal thoughts along those lines, like if a Supreme Court justice has an assassination attempt made against him, maybe say something about that and try to cool the tempers of your side that you have stoked. Normal thoughts, like when a riot breaks out, maybe the last Speaker of the House shouldn't have said people will do what people will do. Normal thoughts like when a Republican senator is violently attacked and sent to the hospital, maybe the Speaker of the House's daughter shouldn't tweet praise for the attacker. Normal thoughts like criminals, no matter their race or economic status, should all be treated the same, and victims of crime, no matter their race or economic status, should all be treated equally. If the soul of this nation needs saving, perhaps it needs saving from abnormality or making the abnormal conventional with double standards and righteous indignation applying to only one group of citizens because of their party or their race, but not another. If the soul of this nation needs saving, maybe it begins by recognizing there is a soul to this nation, and it starts with not just the convenient repetition of our founding documents based on natural rights and natural law, but the belief in those rights, which should translate into a protection of them and a respect for them, a protection and respect that goes further and deeper than political rhetoric, gamesmanship, and partisan one-upsmanship. If the soul of this nation needs saving, in the end, maybe it requires saving or talk from someone who believes all of us have souls— and in the words of Justice John McLean in his dissent in Dred Scott v. Stanford, that we all bear the impress of our Maker and are amenable to the laws of God and man and are destined to an endless existence. Maybe it should come from a man who doesn't say his, his political opponent, even when it is not Donald Trump, but the good kind of Republican, he, the kind he respects. Maybe it should start with not saying he wants to put black people back in chains. Maybe just maybe in the end, the soul of this country is just fine. So long and when it isn't being twisted by knaves in order to make a trap for fools. If you want more unity in this country, after all, if you want a United States of and in America, rule number one would be not calling your political opponents with legitimate policy differences the worst epithets in world history. After all, it's one thing to use a prayer breakfast as a backdrop for a speech about decency and brotherly love. It's another to use its credibility and sanctity to bolster and improve your own. And yet quite another indeed to actually believe in what you said 
and have us believe it if, that is, you have the same dictionary we all do. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. This is a hard one to unravel, uh, what the uh, Hunter Biden legal team is up to. Uh, It's actually pretty uh, interesting. Yesterday... Uh, as many of you may know, um, they're pretty high-priced and well-known lawyers in the Washington area. Abby Lowell is leading Hunter Biden's defense. They sent a series of letters um, threatening the people who have been distributing um, contents from the laptop, Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, threatening everything uh, from torts to criminal allegations, including an ele- uh, alleging, uh, including uh, um, uh, promising a lawsuit against Tucker Carlson for defamation. Um, and then when everyone did the normal thing, which is say, "Whoa, so your own legal defense team is now admitting." That this is your stuff? I mean, everyone has admitted it except you until now, and now your legal team is admitting it? No, they said they put out a letter after that, his legal team did, and said we're not admitting that it's his, just that it is an embarrassment for him and that we make no claim as to its rightful ownership. To which Jonathan Turley wrote... The weirdest part about this is that you're asking for criminal investigations and threatening tort actions in a way that would be like asking police to find a stolen car that may or may not be yours. It's a very odd position, and I'll tell you something. I think all those in receipt of Hunter Biden's attorney's letters— ought to take them up on it and wage a defense. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because if they carry out the threat, especially the threats, especially for defamation, Hunter Biden would have to be deposed under threats of perjury. How good do you think that'll work out going into a 2024 election, a deposition of Hunter Biden. There is no way he could win a defamation suit against Tucker Carlson, and I don't think there's a way he could win anything else. He has gone from, as uh, Jonathan Turley reminded us, he has gone from denying this was his to his attorneys saying, you have exposed his material, to his attorneys saying the material may not be his all in the course of 24 hours. Well, of course, the denials have gone on since about October of 2020, but the position as of a day ago was that he was not even admitting that it was his. What did he tell CBS interviewer? For real, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I have no idea whether or not the laptop is mine. And, of course, the real shame belongs to those 50-plus 
former intelligence officials led by the likes of John Brennan and James Clapper of the DNI and, and uh, CIA for leading off the whole notion that the papers, the news media, print, cable, otherwise, should not be disseminating the Hunter Biden laptop story in October of 2020, right before an election, because it was and had all the marks of Russian disinformation, as Adam Schiff perpetually told audiences at MSNBC and CNN, and as the Department of Justice attorneys we now know told Facebook and Twitter, and as we now know, censored the New York Post in the story. And for all that, as we now also know, changed the election in 2020. I remind McLaughlin and Associates commissioned a poll, commissioned a poll, an exit poll, and found that of the voters who were inclined to vote for Joe Biden and thus did and didn't know of the story, 13.1% of these voters said they would not have voted for Biden had they known of it. Do you know what that means in the swing states where this was asked? Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nebraska, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Do you know what that 13.1% of the vote would have meant? It would have meant in Arizona, Trump would have beaten Biden by over 58,000 votes. It means that in Georgia, Trump would have beaten Biden by over 103,000 votes. It means that in North Carolina, Trump would have beaten Biden by over 197,000 votes. It means that in Pennsylvania, he would have beaten Biden by over 108,000 votes. And in Wisconsin, he would have beaten Biden by over 54,000 votes. It means that the media did conspire with rogue elements at the FBI and former intelligence officials to, say it with me, alter an election. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Um the House did vote to remove Ilan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee, for House uh, Committee on Foreign Relations. Good. Good for them. Matt Gates ultimately did the right thing and voted as well. There was question about that. Odd. Just an odd thing about him. I don't know what it is. There's something. He, he's, is he the reason we can't have nice things? I don't know. Maybe the, uh, maybe the statement applies there. I know there are a lot of Matt Gates fans, and I usually am. I just think... This year has not been his finest, quite frankly. Um, but um, she's gone and uh, from that committee. And so Hakeem Jeffries, who is the uh, leader of the Democratic minority in the House of Representatives, said, well, we'll put her on the House Budget Committee. Fine. She is not stripped of the ability to serve on committees. Uh, she is stripped of the ability to serve on that committee given all her offensive statements, not only about other countries that we are allied with, like Israel, which has gotten a lot of attention, but the United States, blaming the United States, part of the Blame America First uh, regnant crowd, 
blaming the United States for killing thousands of people in the Battle of Mogadishu. No one has ever put that number above 200. Blaming the United States for the devastation of Venezuela. Most sane people put it on the leadership of Venezuela, always in defense of an Islamist or communist regime, always in offense against the United States or Democratic allies. Why should someone like that be on the House Committee on Foreign Relations? She wants to do budget? Fine. Let her do budget. When the Democrats were in charge, they removed Republicans from committees, and they should have removed her then, but they couldn't because they wouldn't based on her use of intersectionality, her use of race, her use of color. She gave a speech today about that nonsense, nonsense. Just wish she would take up the offer from her fellow Somali-American, Ayan Hirsi Ali, to debate what it means to be a Muslim in America, what it means to be an immigrant to America, what it means to be a Somali in America. She won't do it. She won't do it because she knows Ayan Hirsi Ali knows about a thousand times more than she does and will wipe the floor with her. She won't do it. Well, she won't be representing the United States House of Representatives on the House Foreign Relations Committee anymore. Another good showing for Kevin McCarthy, who gave a strong argument in favor of removing her and gave a strong defense today after the removal had been voted for. Not a single Democrat voted with the Republicans on this, um, which is unfortunate. And, you know, it's interesting, as Joe Biden was giving his unity or civility speech, his civil rhetoric speech at the National Prayer Breakfast today. The debate earlier in the House of Representatives before it came to Ilan Omar was about debate about socialism. And I watched it on C-SPAN for some time. I lost count after 10 because I was just using my fingers. Lost count after 10 times Maxine Waters, D. California, called members of the other side of the aisle extremists. Members of the other side of the aisle, extremists. When Joe Biden preaches civil rhetoric, either he doesn't mean it or his party isn't listening to him or he doesn't care whether they listen to him or not. He can be the polished apple and he can let them be the bitter fruit of the poisonous tree he's erected when it comes to our dialogue. It's very easy to blame Donald Trump for bitter dialogue. Very easy. But it didn't start with him. It didn't start with him. It started probably with what the Democrats were writing about Wendell Wilkie in the 1940s and Thomas Dewey. But they perfected it when they were speaking about Barry Goldwater and Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. And I just can't get past the idea that the Republican we're all supposed to support more of is the same Republican Joe Biden told a black audience wants to put them in chains. That's your model of civility. We have two different dictionaries, I think. We have the lambs and they have the wolves. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. 602 508 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. A recession is defined as a drop in income and consumer spending, a rise in unemployment, and increased business failures. I was reading today, Intel's campus here is giving pay cuts to all its employees from 5% up to 10% and 15% even at certain levels. Joe Biden won't admit to any of this. He'll just redefine recession, but income did decline last year because of inflation. Real estate values are dropping. Retailers are declaring declaring bankruptcy, and major companies are laying off thousands. So regardless of what Biden says, we're pretty much in a recession, and it's likely going to get worse, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your money with the stability of gold with the only dealer, Seb Gorka, I and thousands of you already know the Midas Gold Group. Gold holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the ravages of inflation and the ruin of recession. Get your hedge against all this by talking with the good guys at the Midas Gold Group. They'll answer questions and help you protect your savings and investments with the security of gold. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Three thousand. As I was talking about uh, media bias and the Hunter Biden laptop story and the strategy of his lawyers, which seems to have backfired so much so that they had to send out a correction to their threats that they were boasting about and strutting about yesterday, uh, this editorial reminds us of where the journalists in this country are. A lot of people are talking about this story in the Columbia Journalism Review. I don't know if Columbia is the... It might be. It might be the most well-regarded or most well-respected of the journalism schools. It's There's probably three or four. I know Northwestern is one of them, uh, and of course uh, Columbia is... Uh, the only Ivy League one, I think, that gets into the top category is obviously Missouri is a big one as well. But if it's not the number one, it's top three or four. And the Columbia Journalism Review is probably the most uh, intellectually respected uh, media um, magazine or I should say academic journal in the country. Uh, not so respected by me typically, but respected by the people in that, um, in that uh, pedagogical industry. In any event, uh, people are talking about a major story they did revealing just how badly the Washington Post and the New York Times handled the Russian collusion story of 2015-2016 and just how it should have never gotten the play that it did. And the play that it did get, as you know, led to four years of stalking President Trump as not only a Russian stooge but an illegitimate president. Words continually used about him by the likes of Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, Jerry Nadler, Adam Schiff, all based on all this false false intelligence that came out of the falsified Steele dossier, which, as the Columbia Journalism Review points out, should have never been trusted in the first place. Evidently, as I was mentioning yesterday, and as quoted in the article, Bob Woodward was going uh, ape you-know-what, during uh, 2016 and 2017 about how much energy the New York Times and Washington Post was giving to a story that he said didn't have the goods and how they buried stuff 
when they were checking with people on the record uh, at the FBI and at the intelligence uh, communities to validate and verify parts of the story. And those people wouldn't go on the record because they said they didn't have it either. It was all one giant created Democrat Hillary Clinton campaign falsification. And everyone fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, because, you know, what does truth matter anymore? What does truth matter anymore when we have an election to win? The cause is all. That in mind, I just ran into an editorial today at Issues and Insights. The media's leftward bias has been obvious for decades, even as journalists denied their alignment with the Democratic Party. No honest person took Chris Saliza's 2016 claim that, quote, reporters don't root for a side— close quote, to be true. All we've ever asked for is an admission from the media that it worked for the Democrats. We're a little closer to that today. Tuesday's headline in the Daily Caller brought the light. Quote, major news outlets say they're ditching objectivity in the name of diversity, close quote. The story beneath the headline tells us that after interviewing more than 75 media leaders to gauge how the industry views the concept of objectivity, a couple of big names in the, press, in the press offered some guidelines for their colleagues. The pair argued, said the Daily Caller, caller quote, that journalists should include their own beliefs, biases, and experiences to convey truth, and that journalistic objectivity was either unrealistic or undesirable. The two men who made those recommendations? Former Washington Post executive editor Leonard Downey and former CBS News president Andrew Hayward. Not exactly lightweights. Not a year ago, the nabobs of the mainstream media tacitly admitted that their coverage is slanted when Gannett, the largest newspaper publisher in the country, announced it was scaling back its opinion pages in an effort to combat a perception of playing favorites and following a political agenda. The company claimed it had decided readers don't want us to tell them what to think. <laughs> That's their words at Gannett. Of course, the Gannett bosses didn't say what they meant or mean. What they said, as we wrote at the time, the press doesn't need opinion pages when the news is so pointedly skewered that it is telling readers what to think. The media's constant protests of impartiality look more pathetic day by day. Their pretense has been slipping for some time, and they have often loudly under not undermined their shaky position. Think about the official, unofficial policy at a number of media outlets regarding climate reporting and discussions. Their stated in-house rule is to ignore and other man-made global warming skeptics. This was most evident a few years ago when NBC's Meet the Press moderator Chuck Todd said, quote, we're not going to debate climate change or the existence of it. And human activity is the major cause, period. We're not going to give time to climate deniers. The science is settled, even if political opinion is not, close quote. Funny how that policy is at the same time unscientific and a clear gift to the Democratic Party and its extreme ele elements, which covers just about everyone associated with that party today. All the denials built up over the decades that the media aren't happy publicists for the Democrats can be punctured with one fact— Research by George Mason University economics professor Tim Grossclose found that media bias is worth 10 percentage points to Democratic candidates in a typical election. 
10 percentage points. You think about that compared to the study I was relating earlier about the deficits that Joe Biden would have suffered had 13% of his voters known of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Yeah, you're just not, they're not even trying now, folks. They're not even making a pretense of it anymore. It's no wonder that more people I talk to say they just don't read the newspapers anymore. It's a sad thing. It's too bad. It's too bad. Learn a lot from reading newspapers. And if you know how to detect bias, you can read them and should. I still do. But it's too bad that so many people don't have the time to do the research such that they feel comfortable so doing themselves. A lot of you have been hearing me talk about why refi for quite a bit now, and if you still have questions about what they can do with your investment, they are happy to put you in touch with any number of local folks who have invested with them and have realized great returns. Give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, and they're happy to put you in touch with their satisfied customers. Also think about your IRA. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com, an up to 10.25% rate of return. We're going to have Sam Stone joining us in a few moments, taking your calls, any and all, about city politics, domestic, national, world. He is uh, running for city council here in District 6, but uh, loves talking uh, all kinds of politics, uh, which is why um, his name on Twitter is Sam the Paul. Well, it's questions that... Sam the Paul because he's a politico, which is someone who likes talking politics, or because he's also a politician. Well, he's both, and he's um, facile in all areas of policy, which is why we bring him in every Thursday. He's happy to take your calls and talk with you, uh, 602-508-0960. If you want to talk with him, he'll be joining us at the top of the next hour. And then the following hour, I'm going to talk with Josh Hammer. Many of you uh, know that I was on Josh Hammer's podcast this week. Um, He is the opinion page editor of Newsweek and uh, has a very popular podcast, The Josh Hammer Show. Uh, He was talking to me a lot about conservatism and about an op-ed piece I had in The Washington Times on uh, drugs, drug use, drug abuse in this country, drug poisoning deaths in this country. Uh, I'm going to turn it on him, and I'm going to talk to him about conservatism. He's a leader in what the movement has come to be known as the NATCONS, or the National Conservative Movement. And uh, we'll solicit from him uh, what that is, what it means, uh, where it gets its, um, where it gets its uh, ideas from, and what it stands for. Um, there's an increasingly growing constellation of strands of conservatism, and I love talking about it, because I do think that uh, most of us do meet in the middle Is it in the middle? I don't know if it has to be per se in the middle, but most of us do meet in the dark area of the Venn diagram of those concentric circles. All right, Sam Stone coming right up. Taking your call, 602-508-0960. 